our Lord and our God, King of the universe. We ask, Lord, that your anointing would be upon my mind and upon my mouth and the words that come forth. May they be yours. May you be seen and heard. Hide me away. And demonstrate yourself and exalt yourself and show yourself through your word in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. Our lesson tonight out of 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Chronicles 24, Joash after Jehoiada. We've been discussing in the south kingdom, the southern kingdom, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the the kingdom of Judah, uh, the line of David, we're at King Joash. And uh, he was the seven-year-old boy king uh, who was hidden away and his grandmother had killed uh, all his brothers and other heirs to the throne. And at the age of seven, he comes forth, Jehoiada's Uh, The high priest's wife hides him away. They hide him in the temple for seven years, um, or six and something years, and um, and then bring him forth and anoint him king. Right, and so still in review, chapter Second Kings, chapter eleven, verse twenty-one. Jehoash, also known as Joash, was seven years old when he became king, and Jehoash reigned forty years in Jerusalem. And Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the Kohanim, instructed him. And it's interesting, it it puts in that extra caveat there, all the days in which Jehoiada, the Kohanim, instructed him. It doesn't just say Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. It also adds that extra line. Now in verse 6, this is still reviewed. By the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the Kohanim had not repaired the damages of the temple as the king commanded, right? So the king had commanded, let's collect some money and let's repair the temple. His grandmother, uh, Ataliah, had brought in Baal worship and did a lot of damage. And so it needed a lot of repairs. And into his 23rd year, his 30th year of life, the repairs still weren't done. And so he gets on... Um, Jehoiada's case about it and has him go forth and um, has the Kohenim get it done. And so when they finished restoring the temple, they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. It doesn't say all the days of Joash or Jehoash. It says all the days of Jehoiada, the Kohenim, the, Koh- the high priest, the Kohenim Gadol. Um, and, uh, and so we see here Jehoiada uh, still alive at this point, still alive 23 years into uh, Jehoash's reign. And Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. I would say that was full of days, huh? <laughs> full of days and full of years and full of weeks and full of months. That was full, right? And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and his house. That's pretty amazing. I, I didn't do the research on it and I should have, but I don't remember anyone else other than kings being buried in the city of David among the kings. At least not being mentioned. Uh, again, I should have checked that out, but, but he is. And that says something. He was not a king. He was not of the line of David. He was of the line of 
of Levi, he's the line of, uh, of Aaron, uh, among the Cohen, Cohen, Cohen family, and, uh, and he gets buried with King David's family, among the kings. That is quite a high honor. And 130 years of serving the Lord, um, and serving him throughout those years, there's nothing mentioned of him failing or whatever. Uh, he grew old and full of days, and so he you know, seemed to have gone right to the end, uh, like uh, no, Moses did. Moses was still going strong at 120 years and when the Lord allowed him to die. And so it could have been the same thing here, 130 years, um, and, then, and then he dies. And so, we don't know how old he was. It doesn't tell us how old he was when Joash was born, but we do know that he was still alive when Joash was 30 years old, because in the 23rd year of his reign, we have this conversation taking place between the king and, and the, the priest, the, the Kohen. And, uh, and so he's alive at least that long, and, and, and that's when he gets on him about the temple. They didn't collect the money yet. And so if it took, let's say, some time to collect the money, let's say a year to collect the money, and let's say a year of renovation, I would think that would be a quite conservative figure. So at least, let's say, two years into it. And so if he was still alive at that point, that means he would have been, what, 105 when Jehoiada was born, or Joash was born, right? And so, uh, so that's pretty good, and I don't know how old his wife was to go and grab him and hide him away, um, and they raised this kid, you know, at 105 years old, that's pretty good. I mean, I hope they had some help, um, but, uh, but that is, uh, you know, really commendable. Uh, and so, you know, somewhere, you know, at 105 or whatever, and um, let's say even, let's say even if he was 100, right? So let's say he was, uh, let's say, for sake of argument, that uh, Joash was in his 30th year of reigning. At least it was more than 23, so let's say 25, somewhere 25 to 23, because it's not like, well, right after that, he dies. Um, they were able to build the temple and collect the money, you know, so... Let's give him a couple years of life after the temple gets restored. And so let's say um, he, uh, he dies in, in let's say, uh, Joash's 30th year of reign. Right? So Joash did right in the sight of the Lord for at least 23 years, maybe even up to 30 years, while Jehoiada is still alive. And they're offering burnt offerings all of that time. <coughs> After the death of Jehoiada, the leader of Judah came, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Right? Okay, so the, the old high priest is, is, is dead, right? And so then all of a sudden these leaders come and they bow before the king. And well, that's nice. Yeah, it's respectful. They're showing respect to the king. And again, maybe the king is, you know, somewhere between. Uh, well, at least 30, maybe 30 to 35 years old or so, right? And he listens to them, and that's a good kingly thing. He's listening to his subjects. He's listening to the leaders, and that's all good. This is a great verse, right? You know, they're showing respect, and he's listening. That's great. What could be wrong with that, right? Verse 18. And we're in Second Chronicles now, parallel uh, chapter to the Second Kings. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Now in verse 18, that was 17, now verse 18. And then they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. So the whole time, 
Jehoiada, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, was there. He held and kept and everything in check. And the king was listening to him and, and, uh, and, and, and most seemed to be in harmony with it. Was the king's idea to repair the temple? Was the king's idea to collect the money? And even the Kohen didn't do it fast enough. And Jehoiada wasn't good enough on that. And the king got on that. So obviously, you know, he had vested interest on his own at a time for the Lord and for the Lord's house and for the sacrifices and for God's honor and glory. Because the sacrifices are important. As it said, the whole time that Jehoiada is alive, they, they offered burnt offerings. That was the way of receiving forgiveness of sins. Those lambs that were being sacrificed every day, every morning and evening, covering, giving a blanket covering of forgiveness to, to, to God's mercy and God's grace being poured out upon the country, whether they came and brought sacrifices for all unknown sins. And then if someone had committed a known sin, that they, a sin they committed and it comes known to them, and they become aware of it, they bring their own sacrifice. And so the burnt offerings are being offered that whole time, and so people are confessing. People are receiving forgiveness of sins. The substitute is taking place. The, the, the blood is being paid. And as Moses wrote, the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so they're receiving forgiveness because the sacrifices are going on. And all of that pointing forward to the Messiah to come. And so they've got this image of the Messiah. They've got this image uh, of, of, of what he's going to come and do, what he's going to be like, and what the purpose of the Messiah is to be the Lamb of God, to be the substitute for us, to, to make atonement for us, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, to cleanse us from sin. And so all that had been taking place for 30 years or, more, or so into this reign. And then Jehoiada dies. And these leaders come and they've got some other plans. They've got some other ideas which they no doubt were talking among themselves for maybe years of another way, another plan. But as long as Jehoiada was there, that strong leadership, even at 130 years old, they dare not let it go public what they're thinking. And so then when he's gone, they bring it before the king. Not a seven-year-old boy anymore. So they bring it before the king, but he's not strong enough in leadership qualities and leadership abilities, not strong enough in courage and strength to say, no, that's wrong. We're not going to stop worshiping the Lord God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We're not going to stop worshiping the one who's, who's led us all this way, who has given us our, our kingdom and given us David and given us this temple and given us forgiveness of sins and given us the plan of salvation. He yields to these leaders who are wanting to change some things in the worship service. They want to change some things in how the Bible is understood. They want to change God's plan that he has laid out. And they want to make some adjustments to it. They're not forsaking worship altogether. They're just changing it to worship images and idols. And he's not strong enough and he yields to it. What a sad, sad account. All those years, doing good. All those years with a good example. It's sad on the part of the leaders. It's sad on the part of the king. And the wrath of God comes down upon them. I wonder in our lives, have we had an example in our life? Maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, maybe an uncle or an aunt, 
maybe some family member, maybe some spiritual leader, was a godly example to us. And when we were around them, we wouldn't yield, we follow their example, we were godly as well. But after they were not, we were not in their presence, whether separated by death or separated by, you know, distance, we began to compromise. We began to slide back. We began to listen to other voices and other thoughts and other theology and other gospels and other doctrines. I mean, we slept, away, slept back from the courage and the purpose and, the, and the, the walk that we had with God. Maybe we didn't read the Bible as faithfully. Maybe we didn't pray as faithfully. Maybe we didn't commune with God as we had before. Maybe our attendance at services was not as it was when we had that godly example leading us on. whether currently or whether sometime in our past. And this story is a reminder to us to not go down that slippery slope, to not slide down that path, to not follow whatever voice is strongest at that time in our life. Not to just follow people's examples, but to follow God's example. To follow the Lord God. We don't follow Moses. We don't follow David. We don't follow Jehoiada. We follow the Lord God Almighty. He is the one who has laid the path for us. He is the one who has gone before us. He is the one who has sent the Messiah to be the example for us, to show us how it is demonstrated and how it is lived out on this earth in taking human flesh and taking our frailties, and taking on the temptations, taking on our type of mind, type of body, type of character, type of nature, and lived a godly example. A perfect example. And walked through life on this earth as a demonstration to us. Our eyes need to be focused on that example we need to follow him. We need to listen to him. We need to walk in his ways, walk in his path by receiving his very mind and his very character, his very spirit, God's spirit, to come inside us and to give us the courage to point our focus on heaven and to walk in that light and not be swayed by, and even necessarily following godly people because they're godly people. That might have been Joash's problem. He was following Jehoiada because Jehoiada was a godly person, which was good, but it never became his own. It was just his uncle through marriage. His following his uncle's example. It never became his own. I shouldn't say it never because we saw for a time it was his own. Wanting to Dedicate God's, rededicate God's temple, rebuild God's temple, remodel God's temple. It was his own. But not continually. Not throughout. And especially not when Jehoiada dies. And so then he goes following and listening to whatever the next loudest voice is in his life. 
That's why we need to stay in tune with God continually. That's why even if we've read the Bible through, we need to read it through again and again and be constantly in God. That's how God communicates to us. That's how God speaks to us primarily, through his word and in his spirit impressing our heart. But that impression has to be checked with the word of God. And if we're not in the word of God continually, those other voices, those other sounds, whether coming from humans or demon forces or evil angels coming, will sway us away. And everything then sounds logical. Everything then sounds reasonable. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be communicating with God in prayer as well. Continually throughout our lives. Maintaining that experience with God. Having a personal experience with Him. Which is more than a personal relationship with him. I mean, a lot of people, they say they have a relationship with God. Well, relationship, you have a relationship, a lot of relationships. We've got friendship relationships, we've got marriage relationships, we've got lots of relationships. None of them are a proper example to the type of experience that we need to have with God. Where God is coming into us and God is living out of us and through us. That can't be compared to any type of relationship we can possibly have on this earth. It's beyond anything that we can compare it to. We need to have that kind of experience where he is our God. Where we have his mind, where he places his mind and his heart in us. Where he writes his laws inside us and compels us to walk in them. Joyfully. Willingly. Happily. Where we're compelled on where the evil just is repulsive to us and what is right we're drawn to. That's miracle. That's miraculous. That's what God does in changing us. And that's the experience we each need to have each and every day. Because God does not force himself on us. Each and every day he says, do you want me or not? And each decision, do you want my way or not? He gives us that freedom to choose. And we can choose to follow him. We can choose to allow him to have control of our lives. That's what it means to be surrendered. Surrendered, right? You know, in armies and battles, when one side surrenders, they put down their arms, they get on their face or whatever. You know, they're down, right? They get taken, they get handcuffed, whatever. They're surrendered. They have no power. They have no authority anymore. They have surrendered. We surrender to him and give him authority over our lives. We can allow him to choose our destiny and our, our purpose for him to fulfill his will in our lives. Surrender to him. That's what the king was missing, at least at that point. Again, seems that he had it before, but he slipped away from it. For whatever reason, the pressure, maybe the grieving of his uncle dying, and at the same time he's grieving. These other guys come and they put the pressure on him. And he didn't cry out to God. He didn't turn to God. He didn't look to God for wisdom. He didn't pray for God to give him strength to stand up against this. And so he just yielded to the wrong. And unless we are in tune with God and powered by God, each of us would yield the same way. As Adam and Eve did, each of us would. But we don't have to. By relying on God's strength, by being empowered by God, God has given us the power to resist the devil. The Bible says, draw near to God. 
Resist the devil, and he shall flee. But that's the order. Drawing near to God, receiving of his strength, receiving of his power, and then resisting the devil. It takes resistance, determined resistance, and he shall flee. Jehoiada didn't do that. We need to be instant in doing that. Satan does not give up. He doesn't go to sleep. He's got his eyes and his plans upon us, waiting for some weak moment, waiting for some time when we're grieving, waiting for some time when we're not in tune. Our walk with God cannot be based on someone else's walk. We each need a personal walk with God. We will not get into heaven holding on to someone else's shirt tail. Each of us will stand before the throne of God individually. Not based on our spouse, not based on our children, not based on our parents. Again, no one else. Not based on our rabbi, nobody else. Based on the decisions that we have made. Important lesson. I wish Jehoiada would have learned it. Or uh, Joash would have learned it. And I pray each one of us learn it. Including myself. For the rest of our lives. That God gives us the power to endure to the end. Yet he, God, no doubt, sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. God is so merciful. God is so loving. They're under wrath because they've departed from him, but he sends his prophets to bring them back. And they, the prophets, testified against them, the leaders, but they would not listen. Sad. Mistake number two. God didn't give up on on King Joash, God didn't give up on those leaders, sent prophets to them in mercy and in love and in grace. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the Kohenim, the Kohen, who stood above the people and said, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. Heavy. We don't know how old this guy is, right? His dad died at 130, and this is sometime after that. He could be 100 years old. <laughs> or more. Or less. You know, but uh, He's no spring chicken, but he stands up against these leaders. He stands up against this, this king and gives the word of the Lord. So the Lord in his mercy sent prophets as well as the Kohen Gadol's son, who might now be the Kohen Gadol, but he's just the Kohen, Zechariah, standing in his place, respected, standing above the people. And he stands up for God. And he stands up for the people. And he gives the straight word of the Lord cannot prosper when we are transgressing the commandments of the Lord. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? So that you cannot prosper. God desires that we prosper. Prosper in health. Prosper in every aspect of our life. Socially. Financially. Mentally, he wants us to be healthy and happy, but we cannot 
be prosperous. We cannot be successful when we are transgressing the commandments of the Lord. We can be rich <laughs> and transgress the commandments of the Lord, but we cannot be prosperous. There's a difference under God's prosper, under God's blessing, when we are transgressing the commandments of the Lord. And if we forsake the Lord, go out from His grace, again, He is gracious, He's a gentleman, if you don't want me, Fine, I'll, I'll go the other way. I'll find someone else. <laughs> if we forsake him, then we do not receive his blessing. Unless we're, we're forsaken of him. And so he conspired against Zechariah. And this is not Zechariah, the Bible writer, Zechariah, who wrote the book of the Bible, but this is, it's calling Zechariah. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him. Zechariah's father had done to him but killed his son. Horrible. When we turn away from God there is no limit to the depravity that we could sink ourselves to. In many ways, Zechariah was like a brother to him, raised by Jehoiada, raised by Jehoiakim, Jehoiada's wife. And he kills him. If it wasn't for Jehoiada, if it wasn't for Jehoiakim, Joash would be dead. And he kills his son at his command. We think, oh, I'd never do something like that. I'd never hurt someone I love. I'd never hurt someone who is good to me. We depart from God. Oh. Satan takes control. We forsake God. We're not under his blessing. We're not healing him anymore. Satan comes in. Satan takes control. Satan is a murderer and a liar, an accuser and a destroyer. He will take control of us and cause us to say things and do things that when we were with God, we never would have thought of doing. Never would have had a desire to do. And just as miraculous is the transformation that God takes us from where we're born, the condition we're born in, the mind that we're born with, and transforms us so we're thinking like him and desiring like him, if we forsake that, depart from that, Satan takes control as he did to Adam and Eve, as he did to one-third of the angels. We then take on Satan's character. By beholding, we become changed. Whoever we behold, whatever we behold, we become changed. When we're beholding God, we become changed into his image. When we're beholding the things of this world, we're beholding the things that Satan has made and Satan has done. Beholding violence, beholding cursing, beholding illicit sex. We become changed into that image. And that's what happened to this king. It seems that like for 30 years, 37 years of his life, he seems to have been walking with God. His uncle Jehoiada dies. These other guys come in. 
We don't know how long it is from that point till he gets to the point of even stoning Zechariah. But it's somewhere within those last 10 years of his life, give or take. Again, we don't know exact years, 10 to 15 years of his life. It's sad. And again, there go any one of us, there go I, except by the grace of God. As Zechariah died, they stoned him in the courtyard of the very temple that Joash had rebuilt, remodeled. The stained blood upon the very walls that Zechariah helped raise the funds for, that Joash had commanded to be done. And as Zechariah died, he cried out, he said, very similar to this point here. It's very similar to Stephen, right? Who gets stoned outside the city, but he gets stoned also and gets the last word in. So what does Zechariah have to say? The Spirit of God is upon him, and as Zechariah died, he said, Lord, look on it and repay. Quite a bit different than what Stephen said. Stephen looks up, says, I see. You sure the Messiah is sitting at the right hand of the Father? They start stoning him. Lord, lay not this sin against them. Forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Zechariah, but Zechariah had the Spirit of God, right? Said there, right? Where was it? Said, and the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. So the Spirit of God is on him. Lord, look on it and repay. Are those really opposite statements? Yes. Lord, look on it and repay. Or Lord, forgive them. Lay not this sin against them. Sounds totally opposite. But in reality, it's not. Because mercy and judgment do not separate. Mercy and judgment are always together. Mercy and judgment are entwined together. Mercy and judgment, it says in the Psalms, kiss each other. Mercy and judgment is in the heart of God's temple, in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat with the commandments of God. Mercy and judgment together. And if they repent, their sin will not be laid against them. And if they don't repent, judgment will take place. The choice is not the person praying. The choice is really not God's. The choice is ours. And so if they don't repent, Lord, repay. And if they do repent, Lord, lay not this sin against them. The choice is there. And that's what God's going to do. Regardless of what Zechariah prays, regardless of what Stephen prays, that's what God's going to do. If we repent, he forgives. If we don't repent, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah. The choice is ours. And in the spring of the year, the Syrian army came against him Judah and Jehoiada, 
Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people. So those very ones. And destroyed all the leaders of the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Syria. And the Syrian army, came, army was a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they forsook the Lord God. So we've seen over and over again in the Bible when, when uh, Israel or Judah had just a very small army. Sometimes just 300 men. God gave them power to win a, over a very great army. Well, it works both ways as well. When we forsake the Lord, God can allow a very small army or a very small situation or a very small circumstance to come in and destroy us. No matter how much we have, no matter how much we've amassed, no matter how much credibility we have or how much influence we have, great or small, it's not in our own strength, not in our own power that we stand. It's in the power of God. And if God be for us, nothing can stand against us. And if we have forsaken the Lord, anything can push us over. And so they were repaid. They were repaid. The very leaders, the leaders of the people, the very ones who convinced Joash to put in the, uh, the wooden idols and, and to forsake the Lord, God uses the Syrians to come in and destroyed all the leaders and sent all their spoil to the king of Syria with a small little army, just as Zechariah had said. If we forsake the Lord, if we do not keep the commandments of the Lord, we cannot prosper. Somehow through that, Joshua had built up and amassed a very great army. And it built up wealth. And it did him no good. It was gone in a day. Or wherever long, the army came in, killed them, destroyed them, and took the wealth. It's not laying up for ourselves where moth and rust can corrupt and eat. It's laying up our treasure and our heart and our mind and our desires in heaven, where moth and rust cannot get to. Putting our trust in God. Not in man, not in stuff, not in things. Not in armies, not in wealth, not in degrees, not in abilities. Trusting in God. And they executed judgment against Joash. They left him severely wounded. And then his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the Kohen and killed him on his bed, so he died. Sad ending. To a seven-year-old boy king, life spared miraculously, raised in the temple, 40 years of life reign, 47 years old, still young. He could have been the oldest reigning king. He could have easily gone 80 years of reign. He could have gone more than that. But he turned from the Lord. As it said in the beginning, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the Kohen. And that's all. All the days of that and no further. And that's sad. May that not be what's written on our gravestone. That they followed the Lord all the days 
that their parents encouraged them. And all the days that their parents led the way, all the days their uncle or their aunt, or all the days that that rabbi was there, all the days that that influenced their spouse, but all the days of their life, they served the Lord God. May that be written in the record books of heaven regarding us. We've got the examples on both sides. So we get to choose which history, which future we want. What we want written about us. Like Joe Ash, God does allow him to live 40 years, remain 40 years, which is interesting. But Then even his servants come and kill him because he killed the Kohen. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Jehoiada, the priest, Jehoiada the Cohen, he gets buried with the kings. He was more of a king than the king. And the king does not get buried with the kings. And those who conspired against him were Zabat, the son of Shemeth, the Amorites, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Shemarath, the Moabites. And Amaziah, his son, reigns in his place. Interesting. An Ammonite and a Moabite killed the king because he killed the, the priest, the Kohen. Interesting. Interesting. They saw how vile that was. They saw how unjust that was. And they raise up against him and, and kill him. Interesting turn of events. So as we apply it to our lives tonight again, if you're not following the Lord because of the Lord, if you're following the Lord because of someone else in your life, I invite you to commit tonight to knowing and serving the Lord. If you don't have your own personal experience with him, if you're not having your own personal worships, I invite you to have your own personal time with God. Not dependent on someone else but that you fall in love with God, that you marry God even more than marry, that you invite him into your heart, into your mind, to live all the days out of you. Maybe you served him for a while, maybe you loved him for a while, but it slipped away. Invite him back in. You're not obeying the commandments of God. You're not prospering. Wrath of God is in some way, shape, or form upon you. Satan's been able to come in and harass, invite you to repent of that and turn to God and surrender whatever it is, whatever area you're not obeying the commandment of God. Accept his forgiveness, accept the Messiah's death for that. Accept his grace, accept his covering, accept his power to come in and give you the ability to walk in his path and walk uprightly. Or any other area that God has spoken to you tonight from this chapter, from this story, from this account. If your walk with the Lord was stronger at some point in your life, maybe as a kid or some other time, our walk with the Lord should be the strongest now. Today should be the strongest day of our lives in walking with the Lord. And tomorrow should be the strongest. And the next day after that, every day should be stronger with the Lord. If there was some day in the past where it was stronger, then we need to get back with God. We're slipping away. We need to be growing in him. So as we pray again, any area that applies 
to you of those areas that are suggested or anything else that God's speaking to your heart. Spend some time with him right now. And get right with him. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful, Lord, for the truthfulness of it and the openness of it. It just lays it out before us. Thankful that this was allowed to be written. That we can be warned and we can see and, and how far we can fall if we take our eyes off you. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us of any backsliding in our life. Cleanse us and wash us clean. Lord, we want to know you. We want to personally know you. We want to experience you. Lift us up before your presence. Instill in us a love for you. Instill in us a heart after you. Come inside us and live through us. Be our God. May we know you. May nothing, may we desire nothing more than being with you and spending time with you. May we desire nothing than walking in your way and walking in your light. May we have your mind and your thoughts. May your desires rule through us. May your character shine forth out of us. May we, each of us, have a personal, deep, abiding experience with you and walk with you. And if there's any area, any commandments we're not obeying and breaking, Lord, convict us and convert us. Transform us and change us into your image. In Yeshua's name, amen.